This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, True Pilot Stories from the World of General Aviation. In this episode, hot weather, an overloaded airplane, and bad advice create a dangerous chain of events. Be grateful you're on the ground in Where Lesser Angels Roam by John Carroll. Afternoon temperatures peaked close to 100 hot and humid degrees. Walking across an even hotter piece of tarmac, the air around us hung heavy like an unwelcome blanket worn in a hot, parked car. The windsock favored no runway but remained still and lifeless. Dad and I had been waiting since our arrival, expecting a ride home from this tower-controlled airport where we had delivered an Aronka 7BCM Champ. The ride home was supposed to take the form of a 4x4 extended cab truck driven over a well-traveled toll road. But as we lived only a short distance away and with a small fleet of aircraft rentals at their disposal, two pilots, one a designated pilot examiner, the other a flight school owner, had decided that the trip back to our home airport should be made in one of their Lycoming-powered magic carpets. It was a decision of convenience that substituted an old Cessna to convey all four of us from an appropriate jet runway to a small tree-lined grass airfield. I had no objection to flying home, but when I found out that they intentioned four well-fed guys to pile like circus clowns into a fuel-heavy Cessna 172, my common sense alarm went off. The examiner should not have encouraged this idea. He was familiar with our airstrip and knew that the airplane would be taking off in a very heavy condition on an exceptionally hot day. The Cessna 172 is a marvelous machine, but it was never a genuine four-place transport. It was not the appropriate platform for carrying such large loads, and it lacked the power to fly out of a bad decision at that weight I had used a similar model many years earlier to get my instrument rating and had seldom been given the opportunity of directing one since. Yet as we approached the aircraft, the examiner insisted that I sit up front. As far as I could tell, this was his only surrender to logic that day. True, the weight and balance did favor this arrangement, 
but we were already well beyond anything reasonable. This did, however, afford me access to the controls, which I would need if things did not go well. I believed the airplane was capable of making the flight, but I thought that this venture was both unnecessary and stupid. My objections were noted but trivialized by the other pilots. We had all been trained at one time or another by the examiner, and most chose to favor his judgment. I was the only one who was seeing the situation for what it was, the poster child for bad decisions. The left seat pilot was the flight school owner, a multi-engine ATP who operated his own on-demand charter service. Behind him sat the examiner, and beside the examiner sat my private pilot father. I was the guy in the right seat. My experience in banner towing had helped bestow in me some reasonable stick-and-rudder skills, but my time spent as a commuter captain for a small airline warned me against trying to cheat the numbers. The Cessna was going to be challenged by current circumstance, and it was being flown by a guy that I didn't have a lot of faith in. I was not about to turn my father loose with him. The departure airport had a surface that was several thousand feet of confidence, longer than the little carving we were headed to. While taxiing out for departure, I considered once again the gravity of our situation. We rolled an exceptionally long distance down the first runway before liftoff. Every indication therein gave serious warning of a very high-density altitude and the challenge that lay ahead. As the margins of safety shrank, the risks expand. For most pilots, this warning would have been enough to abort the attempt, but I was the only one who seemed concerned. The trip to our airstrip took even less of the sundial than the three failed approaches that were made once we were there. Nothing was said on the first attempt, which began with a downwind leg that was higher than the one I would have made. The pilot surprised me when he turned base leg so close to the runway without extending his approach to compensate. At first, it appeared as though he was going to use some kind of chop-and-drop descent strategy, but it became increasingly obvious that he had no strategy at all. All of his go-arounds were sloppy, with the first one being the worst, but being too high has never killed anyone, so I took no action other than to suggest that he try making his downwind lower the next time. I also sat a little more ready in the event that he began to lose control of the airplane. The second approach was better, but much too fast, and he realized that fact way too late to do anything about it. I could tell that he was upset and had been since the first abort. By now, the guys in the back seat were becoming upset too. Before departure, my objections to this flight were pushed aside. Now, the examiner in the back seat was yelling for me to take the controls. But the frustrated charter pilot was now more receptive, so I tried once to talk him through a landing. The last failed approach came nearer to the success that we were all hoping for, but by this time I was the only calm person in that airplane. After his third and final approach, the angry pilot threw up his hands in disgust and relinquished the controls. I then brought the airplane in for a mostly uneventful soft landing. I say mostly uneventful because the approach was intentionally low and slow over the last remaining tree on the south end of the field. Holding a small amount of power directly overhead of that obstacle, I chopped the throttle and nosed the aircraft down in contour over that form. 
The aircraft then accelerated from its sloth at a nearly level attitude into a mildly steep descent, losing much of that added kinetic energy with a large braking pitch change that ended barely six inches above the ground. My passengers weren't expecting this kind of maneuvering, and given their already high level of anxiety, I didn't choose to tell them about my plan to do so beforehand. I did this to gain just enough airspeed to arrest the vertical motion before touchdown. This was the best way to minimize the amount of runway used, lest there be any chance of having to do a go-around that low to the ground. But I underestimated the amount of potential energy that would be turned into airspeed by this burdened aircraft. The airspeed was safe and sufficient to check the descent, but several knots fast. Rather than float any distance down the runway, I released some of the back pressure that was being applied to the control wheel and allowed the airplane to land. I could have used some refined aerodynamic braking, but I thought everyone would feel better with the wheels on the ground. The aircraft's unchecked momentum carried us over the remaining distance to the other end of the runway where the house was. Everyone on board was relieved. I felt vindicated by my earlier caution, but condemned for my participation in the flight. My argument about the risks had now been made in whole with the other pilots, even if no one wanted to talk about it, but not without an unnecessary chance having been taken. I would never have participated in that flight had it not been to protect my father from harm. That night, I spoke about the incident with my dad. I was angry. His overconfidence in the examiner had helped to involve us in an ill-advised adventure. He vowed never again to take his former instructor's opinion over mine when it involved the safety of a flight. The most frustrating thing for me was not being seriously considered in a matter of such grave importance. This kind of blind faith I find disturbing. My father is gone now. I hope to discover that better angels will prevail the next time something like this comes up, but I won't be convinced again to partake in case they don't. The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at aopa.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at aopa.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely. Fly safely.